uh, and the potential that, you know, if, again, if you're in Austin or Chicago or, or Miami, you know, bar number one shuts down, the instant you can, bar number two is going to hop in there. There's there's a guy out there, a promoter, who wants to go do that. In Beeville, Texas, if somebody wants to shut down, there's just no guarantee, especially these situations where you have, you know, mom and pop stores that have been open for a long time. And if they shut down, there's no replacement coming. Hey, it's Josh. Before we get started with this episode, I just want to ask that if you're listening, please subscribe in your podcast app so you'll get notifications when new episodes come out. And if you like this episode, share it with a friend and maybe leave a review. It will really help us out. Okay, enjoy the episode. Breaking news tonight, the coronavirus forcing millions more Americans into virtual lockdown. Our country wasn't built to be shut down. This is not a country that was built for this It was not built to be shut down. America will again and soon be open for business, uh, very soon, a lot sooner than uh, three or four months. There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of fear. Um, There's a lot of, you know, wondering if you're risking your life by going to work. On this episode of Restarting America, we're excited to welcome Kenneth Bethune of Coastal Bend Distillery Company in South Texas. Kenneth grew up in South Texas and the oldest child of two small business owners. He graduated from Shriner University with a BA in history and from Oklahoma City University School of Law. He is licensed to practice law in Oklahoma and Texas. In 2010, he opened a solo practice in Oklahoma City and is now the managing partner of Bethune Enright PLLC, a law firm with offices in Beeville, Victoria, and Perryton, Texas. Kenneth's current focus is on rural and small-town entrepreneurship. He invests in residential and commercial real estate, retail, and distilling. Coastal Bend Distilling Company is a craft distillery producing vodka, gin, and whiskey. Kenneth is a former high school volleyball coach and has an extensive knowledge of useless sports trivia. Trivia. He lives in Beeville, Texas with his wife and two children. Well, thanks, Kenneth, for joining us today. Um, We're really excited to talk to you about your business and what's been going on um, in the past few years, in the past, really in the last few months. But before we get into COVID and what's been going on the last few months, maybe just tell us a little bit about how you got your business started and uh, yeah, just a little bit about you to give us some more context. Sure thing. I'm, I'm really happy to be here and excited to talk to you. Um, I'm Kenneth Bethune, and I call myself a rural entrepreneur. Uh, that is how I define what my, uh, my place in the world is. Uh, by profession, I'm actually an attorney, and I only went to law school. You know, uh, lots of people talk about loving the law and really being um, excited to help people. And not to say I wasn't either of those things, uh, but what I really wanted was to be self-employed. I never, my parents were small business owners. Uh, When I was a kid, my dad was a a welder who had a construction company and my mother operated a a campground that uh, catered to what we call winter Texans uh, down here. And I've never really experienced the corporate life. I never really saw my parents work for other people. And when I did, it was never super positive. So my whole life, that was really my motivation was to find a way in which I could work for myself in a manner um, that, that made me happy. And, and going to law school, uh, I felt like I had that chance to be self-employed and also have the upside of however well I can make this go is, is how well I'll, I'll do in the world. And that's kind of a motivating factor for me from, from the get-go. 
Um, I moved to Texas in 2013 during what we called the Eagleford boom. It was a shale play here in Texas. And I moved the law, the law office down here and invited one of my former classmates to join me in the firm. Uh, we formed Bethune Enright PLLC and started trying to capitalize on the what was going on here. Oil prices were over $100 a barrel. It was just really kind of a, a boom time. Uh, shortly thereafter came the crash uh, in about 2015 that happened. Um, and well before the crash ever happened, I always believed in trying to find multiple streams of income, multiple um, uh, sources, but also trying to live the life I wanted to live. And as we emerged from the oil and gas bust, um, I put into effect the real idea that I wanted to do, which was to build a distillery. And the story behind that isn't particularly um, exciting. I really think that there's a value in building something that produces uh, a tangible good or a commodity as compared to, you know, I don't have computer programming skills. I'm not going to make the next great uh, application for your iPhone. I wanted to find something where I could take raw materials and turn them into a marketable product. Um, I want to do something good for the community I'm in without being wholly dependent on that community for all of my revenue. And then I wanted to do something that had big upside where if we could really do it right and, and really make it work, um, we would have, we could be set for life if it all, if it all goes the right way. And so those are kind of always the things I'm looking at is, is um, making it something that I enjoy and then big upside. And so out of that came Coastal Bend Distilling Company. That is what we, uh, what we have here in Beeville, Texas. We make a, uh, a gin that we call live oak, or a vodka, we call live oak vodka. We have Lucky Star Gin. And then we source a whiskey. I'm always very, very honest about this so that the whiskey aficionados won't hunt me down. We source a Kentucky whiskey. Uh, we do not make it on site, we just bottle it. And that is called Colonel Fannin. So Colonel Fannin was a hero of the Texas Revolution and he died about 40 miles to our east uh, in a massacre with the Mexican army. So that's why he's kind of rele uh, relevant geographically. Um, so here we are in September of 2020. We have been open since November of 18. We were open all of 19 um, and we just got into distribution about a month after all of the COVID lockdowns happened. So, wow. Uh, yeah, we, I was very adamant from the beginning about doing everything the right way. And so until we had our internal processes down in a way that I was comfortable going into the kind of the stream of commerce, we never got into distribution. And then about the time we got there was the time that all the bars and restaurants closed. So it's been an interesting, um, experience, but we are, we've made a lot of progress. We have a very nice facility here in Beeville and, uh, we, we uh, are doing some really good things with the uh, with the the distillery. Before we get into the COVID, I want to kind of like go into a little of a few things that you said. One of the things, the rural entrepreneur. I guess I want I wonder like what do you like what what is the difference between a rural entrepreneur and like let's say you're in San Antonio or Houston or Chicago or something. So. One of the things is access to the market um, and the markets. And when I say rural, I also mean small town. Um, we don't, I'm, I'm not going to, um, you know, a hamlet with 400 people and trying to make things happen there. Uh, we invest in Victoria, Texas, which is a town of about 65,000. 
and then in the neighboring towns uh, around where we are. And, and I, I would say the rural entrepreneur thing really comes down to the distillery in that I could have opened my distillery in Austin and I could have opened it in Dallas. And I would have um, a whole different business plan and a different mindset, but instead I opened it here where the, the net positive benefit that you could attribute to the distillery is much higher than it would ever be anywhere else. Um, but because of the nature of that business, I don't think we're at a huge disadvantage when it comes to entering, you know, the regional market. I don't think we are really losing anything there. I like living in small towns. I enjoy the lifestyle, uh, especially during COVID. I, you know, if I lived in New York city right now and had been trapped in an apartment for all these months, I would be going crazy. Um, so I like the lifestyle here. I like what you get in the small towns. I know there are sacrifices for a lot of people, but having a target nearby is not a priority for me. Um, so the rural entrepreneurship is mostly about personal focus. I'm also um, mostly self-funded. I don't really have any uh, partners in my business other than my wife. And so I don't have the immediate pressure of returning money. Uh, you know, if I was going to investment banks and, and uh, private equity people, they would want a return that a place like Chicago and, and New York could give them that we probably couldn't get here. But since it's me, I can choose the path we're taking. And it's important to me that we um, appreciate rural America. I think that small towns and, and even small states have, they get a, a, a kind of a bad rap, even though they produce a lot of value and they produce a lot of human capital. And those people, you know, you need all those people to go out into the world and do good things. And to do that, you have to maintain the, the, like, the business infrastructure where you are. And I'm very passionate about that. And, and I, I also am very big on doing it without government help. I think that um, the town I'm in actually has a, a good example of this. It was a, a Navy town. They have a Naval Air Station here until the 90s. And the town really got dependent on that. And instead of doing its own business development and its own um, searching for options, they just relied on that. And then when the Naval base closed, they replaced it with a prison. And unfortunately, that's not a one-for-one -one trade. And it's been, I think, has brought some hardship to the place that um, has not been mitigated fully. And also, you're 35 years behind all the towns that never had that reliance on, on you know, the federal government or the state government. And so they've been trying to figure out their way for a long time. And we're trying to catch up fast. Interesting. I was actually born on an Air Force base in Texas, which is funny, really? in, Ar in Arlington. It's like a oh, yes. You're, you're, we, call, we call that the north. Once you get yes, north, I understand. Yeah. we call it I, the I understand, but, it's, but it is interesting. And I think uh, it is, I think it's also just like indicative of like, a, like shifts in like, like how America works and like mm -hmm. how the American government works. It's very interesting um, to me. I wonder, again, before we get into COVID, like what was the response to the distillery opening? Like, uh, I can imagine it being like, like when I think of distilleries, I think of like a visually like attractive, like interesting place, you know, it's like, Oh, like this, like it literally looks cool, you know? And, uh, and then also like just like an excitement around something new like that happening. Tell me a little bit about that. We've been very well received. I could not be happier with uh, how we've been received by everyone. The city to the extent that they can has been supportive. Um, the people have been supportive. I, you know, I, in every, any small town, the churches here are very influential. I was somewhat concerned we might have pushback on, on that, but in, instead we occasionally have some of the pastors stop by for a cocktail. So it's, uh, 
it's been really well received. We are very different than any other um, entertainment option in town. Uh, I think you said you're in Chicago. Yes. Okay, so you'll you'll probably laugh at this, but um, our cocktails all cost eight dollars. Yes. <laughs> that, is, that is the price we have, and that is considered to be very um, outrageously expensive here. Uh, so that's kind of fun. Uh, we get to do different things. We do wonderful events. We have live music. We host. There is a um, a restaurant across the the street from us, and we host uh, brunches, themed brunches, where we'll do a, a themed cocktail to match the menu they come up with, and. We do uh, trivia nights. We do video retro video gaming nights. We do all kinds of stuff you're not going to typically find in a place like Beville. And I think people have really come to enjoy it and understand that we're not just here um, to take. We're here to give. And everybody has fun. We did a Bloody Mary contest last year. We had over 100 people attend. It was just it was a lot of fun. Um, and shockingly, have had almost no pushback. Uh, Fire suppression was the only thing anyone seemed to be concerned about, and I have made sure that our building is state-of-the-art, and it is um, by far the most technologically advanced building built in Beeville in the last decade. So uh, it is it is a cool place to be. We have a very nice tasting room. Uh, we do tours. We have, you know, the still is half the fun, right? The still looks yeah. nice. It, it's just cool to, cool to be around. And when we could be around people, we would take them back there and, and do tours every couple Saturdays. Um, yeah, I, I can't complain. I'm really happy with how Beeble supported us. And I think the people have kind of gone out of their comfort zone to enjoy um, what we have to offer. One more question. I think it's, it's an interesting thing. I think of Chicago. I think Chicago, we have the most like small breweries in like any city or something. It's like I can literally like point in any direction from where I live and be like, oh, there's one there and there's one there. You know, we're near the, you know, there's a lot going on. And so something I also see is interesting though with the distilling is I see a lot of celebrities being involved. Like Ryan Reynolds just sold. Um, oh yeah, he's my new hero. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Ryan Reynolds, I know The Rock is like got a tequila brand or something. You know, it's like this is like uh, it just like it seems like an interesting opportunity for distilling. And I wonder like like what do you see there? So I think your your instincts there are right based on what I what I know about the industry. Um, brewing is in many ways easier because it's easier to enter the market. It is easier to sell because more places sell. A lot of states have situations where you can join the beer of the month club and you can ship. Spirits don't have a lot of that. Uh, just building our building, we, they basically treat the, the production area of our building like a, like a bomb. I mean, our, our security, our, our safety measures are very, very extensive because of that and, and as such are very expensive. Uh, we can't ship anything out of Texas. That's not allowed. And we, we're limited in a lot of ways. The beer and the wine industries are not limited. The flip side of that is my margins on a bottle of vodka are just astronomical as compared to a six pack of, of beer. Beer is very resource intensive to make. Very easy to um, have a bad batch. Very easy to. Um, I've actually heard of a, dis or a brewery in Oklahoma that had a bad seasonal beer at Christmas and it put them out of business. I mean, they. Um, you, so you, the, the margins are just smaller, and the entrants are more, and so there are just more people out there playing the game. And I would say philosophically, I think that's the right way. It should be. It should be that it's easy to get in. But now that I'm in, if they change the rules, I'd be very.
so. <laughs> mm. uh, on, on distilling. So I think um, that's, that's one of the upsides to distilling is it's not as easy to do and it's not as um, easy to get into a lot of places. Like in, in Texas, uh, li- liquor stores have liquor and grocery stores only have beer and wine. So every state's a little different. I don't know what it is in Illinois, but you can't go down to the, you know, the Circle K and get um, spirits. And so in Texas, there is just less market access that way. Um, that being said, the spirits industry is growing. Uh, as, as, you know, if you take the big pie chart of alcohol consumption, unfortunately, I think it is slightly shrinking uh, because some of the trends with younger people not drinking as much. But of that pie chart, the consumption in spirits is growing. And I think you see it, you know, with a lot of the vodka is, I'm not going to call it healthy, but it is not as um, calorically dense as a beer or most beers. It's not, and you can mix it with things that are also not calorically dense. And so there's a way to consume it that is not, um, that fits in with modern uh, diets and things like that. So I think there's some, uh, some stuff there. And then also I think people are, in, in the same way that internet has made us all aware of different things, people are becoming more sophisticated with their cocktails. I mean, in Beeville, Texas, you can get any kind of cocktail you want the same as you could in, at least, you know, in our bar, I have a, my, my bar manager is my cousin. Uh, he worked at a Pat O'Brien's in San Antonio for a long time, which is a big bar there. Um, and so he's as sophisticated a bartender as you're going to find and he can produce things that you could find in any city in the world. And, you know, I'm not sure you get that in Beeville 40 years ago. And so the people here are learning to enjoy those things. And especially the young people know about them because they watch TV, they watch, mm-hmm. you know, the internet, they're, they're on YouTube, they see all these fun things you can do and they want that here too. So we're able to give it to them. Um, let's get in a little bit into what, what's going on now. Um, Tell tell me a little bit. I know Texas is a little bit different than Chicago, but we had these national shutdowns that we, but you know, different experiences kind of um, in terms of like you you would you didn't experience like the spike as early as we did maybe. Um, yeah. But tell me a little bit about when COVID kind of came to your area and what that looked like. It was I want to say the third week of March. I was actually on my way back from out of town and I was on the road and I started getting texts from everybody I know about uh, the bars being closed and. Our tasting room is treated like a bar for legal purposes. Uh, we don't serve any food, and so we are um, what's called a 51% licensee. We get more than 51% of our revenue from alcohol. And uh, and I that week, and they also closed all the restaurants to everything except takeout. I mean, it was a pretty hard uh, hard deal. Closed all the schools. We so we shut down immediately, and I think at the time we were told to be two weeks of this, and then we'd move on with uh, life. And of course that has not been the case at first. I wasn't sure what to make of it. Um, I definitely had no, I didn't have a strategic plan in place for anything like this. We never even considered it. Uh, I'd actually traveled to, uh, Argentina with my mother, um, in January and we went to Ushuaia, which is at the, the, you know, bottom of the world, basically where there's a lot of, uh, traffic for people who are going to Antarctica. And so when I heard about COVID, even before the shutdown, I kind of laughed about maybe already, cause I got sick on that trip or shortly after mm. that trip, I got sick and I was like, I joked about having it. And 
I went to Las Vegas uh, with a, having coughing fits on an airplane, and I can't even mm. imagine doing that now, mm. uh, shortly after that. And then my mother and I went to Washington, D.C., uh, like the week before, and it, it was just so normal. Everything was so normal, but it was already in the back of my mind that it was a thing. And then that, that shutdown hit so hard. I mean, we went from just normal life to full, full uh, shutdown mode. And then they reopened us in, uh, I want to say June for about three weeks, and then they shut us back down again. So that's the, as far as the bar goes, that's kind of the timeline. And we remain closed. There's some talk of next week being a reprieve of this, but so far we remain closed. And uh, certainly not anticipating it. Uh, and like I said, from a, we have still been in distribution. So liquor stores and the bars and restaurants that are open have bought wholesale from us during this time. Uh, about three weeks into COVID, we figured everything out with our distributor. We got our prices worked out. Everything was agreed upon. And they've, they've made consistent orders throughout this whole time. Not as big as I would like because a lot of the places I would love to um sell to aren't even open and even the places that are open have less less volume than they did before so they're not moving through product as fast as we would hope we're only in three we're in four bars and they're all here in Beeville as of right now that is um we're in liquor stores basically all over the southern half of the state but we're only in four bars uh because we haven't had a chance to go out and do any sales you can't do tastings right now you can't do um bar nights you can't do sponsor nights anything like that so we're kind of stuck in a holding pattern from that perspective. And uh, the one thing we did do, and, and I, don't, I don't think this was included in any of our, our uh, previous correspondence was we did hand sanitizer. We converted the distillery for about a month into hand sanitizer production. Uh, we did the, the WHO formula, which is vegetable glycerin, hydrogen peroxide, and um, ethanol, 192 proof ethanol. Uh, and then you you mix it in the proportions according to the, the WHO formula. And then they, the FDA gave us relief to produce that without all of the normal approvals that you would get. And that, it didn't save the distillery, but it made sure everybody got to work. Uh, we donated a lot to local uh, first responders and schools and things like that. But otherwise, we just made it available for sale to the public. and. And if I'm being honest, I basically sold it at the same price per ounce that I sell my vodka because that's how much it costs. Wow. The reason I sell my vodka for that, uh, and it was a lot of manpower because we mixed it all by hand, and it was a lot of time and energy, and um, so it worked out great. But I, I did see the writing on the wall there, and we we stopped producing it at just the right time. The funny thing about the hand sanitizer is I spent my, all day ordering uh, bottles and raw materials to make it like all day, every day for three weeks. That's all I did. And a lot of it got back ordered. And then a month after we stopped making it, I got huge shipments of <laughs> gallon jugs and all kinds of stuff. So, um, if anybody out there needs, uh, just a whole bunch of gallon jugs, I'm the man to see. Um, so we did that for about a month and it worked out just fine. It was good for the community. It was good for us. And then about that time, I think, uh, the bulk producers of hand sanitizer were able to kind of get their hands around the, the supply chain issues they had and, and turn the corner. It's still pretty expensive, but it's definitely, um, definitely not 
expensive as expensive as ours was, and you know that's when we exited the market. So it was a it was a good deal. Some the people who really benefited from it were industries where they have to have it. So the oil and gas industry, if you're working on a, a rig out in the middle of nowhere, there's not going to be running water, and so there's not going to be and your safety protocols require some of those things. Um, especially as, as COVID ramped up, a lot of the companies put out these new and insurance companies expected new protocols to put in place. And so we had some bulk sales to situations like that. And then a lot of people in town who are in those vulnerable communities uh, were able to come and get enough to last them until the more um, typical commercial options were available. So we did that and, and, uh, it was a wild ride there for a couple of weeks. I mean, I uh, almost everyone else I know got not a vacation, but a little break during COVID. I had the exact opposite. I probably worked harder during COVID than I had in years, uh, at least during the uh, hand sanitizer days. So that was our, our biggest issue. And and then the closures still happen. I mean, it's it hasn't resolved itself yet. And, and I don't think we'll be able to maximize our what we're trying to do until it is. I'm interested in what's what what the with the distribution. I guess I mean this seems like a big revenue generator, possible yes. revenue generator. It's like obviously complicated by COVID. Like I also like there's got to be some kind of laws around advertising alcohol and spirits in general too that like is going to prevent like yeah I know you can't just go on Facebook and run ads for vodka easily. It's not something that can just happen. Whereas in other businesses you could just you know, there are ways to get to your consumers more directly without going to a bar, going to a restaurant, without going to a liquor store, like in showing up places. Um, maybe you could just talk a little bit about that. Sure. So distribution for us was a long process. Um, I actually had a, a classmate from college, a good friend of mine who worked with us for a long time, who left the company earlier this year. And uh, that really kind of showed us where we were because he was he was managing the day-to-day -day operations of the distillery while I did you know all the other things that it is that I do and I had to get hands-on involved uh, once he once he left the company and that I, I don't want to say that directly led us to getting into distribution or that there's any delay but it's certainly I was more that's my motivation you know it's my it is my um, baby if you will and I am aware that under our business model, under the way we've set this up, distribution is the only way that it works. That's the only way that we're going to um, generate the revenue we need for this to be a success. And that made that my priority. And we got it done relatively quickly once I started the him taking care of the day-to-day -day operations. And it's, it is a, it's a mess. So much like other states, Texas has a three-tier system. You can be a manufacturer, you can be a, wholesaler or you can be a retailer and you can only be in one you can't can't cross over the very limited exception to that is craft producers can have tasting rooms which makes them a very limited retailer and we can sell bottles out of our tasting room which makes us a very limited wholesaler uh and that's it like we're limited if you were to walk into my tasting room tomorrow i would take your id write down your information i can give you two bottles you can't come back for 30 days and buy more bottles uh, so it's very limited. No one, we've had people who wanted to come before we were in distribution, they wanted to buy enough to stock their wedding with our stuff. It's like, well, you got to bring 10 people in here uh, and wow. give us all their IDs and, and do it that way. So going through a distributor is really the only option. Uh, fortunately, we have a, 
a distributor that is statewide and also into New Mexico that has a warehouse locally. Uh, they've been very supportive of us from the get-go. They've been really good uh, partners even before they had to be. And so we wanted to work with them. It was just a matter of getting right on terms and numbers. And that's when I was able to kind of get involved on a more uh, intimate level. That's when we were able to make that happen pretty quick. And then they're having their own issues. There are, um, there are issues producing beer. Uh, a lot of the factories in some of the countries where it's made have been shut down. A lot of our factories here have been shut down. Um, so you're not producing the volume you were producing before while people in some places are drinking more than they normally do because they're all home with nothing, nothing going on. So they're having their own issues. And I think for them, it was nice to have a new product to go out and sell. And for us, it was great to have, you know, the revenue that came from that. They've been really great. on trying to get us uh, down in what we call the Valley. It's the Rio Grande Valley is a, uh, a pretty large population center and we're in quite a few places down there. Um, and when then all over the area, Corpus Christi is the biggest city down here. We're in Corpus in a number of locations. I grew up in Rockport, Texas, where we were in a liquor store there, which is kind of cool. Um, so, and then in here in Beeville, we're everywhere. And we go almost to San Antonio. That's kind of where we, uh, we have not been able to get in yet. Part of it is that the bigger liquor stores are not taking meetings right now. Uh, they, they're working from home. They're having all of their own COVID related issues. And that's what's really going to hold us back from getting into bars and restaurants because most in Texas, bars and restaurants buy their spirits only from liquor stores. Your beer and wine come from a distributor directly. Like they'll come on an 18 wheeler and they'll drop them off. But if you're a, a bar owner, you buy from somebody with, I believe what is called a, a type B license. Don't quote me on that. Um, and the type that, that kind of license is how if you're um, the local Chili's, you just call a local liquor store and that's who you order your spirits from. Uh, in a lot of places, those liquor stores are ordering from are the large ones because the large ones have the best prices and the most volume and, you know, can meet the most demand. So we aren't into any of those yet, and we're hoping to be as soon as possible, but it's just a, a limitation that's outside of our control. Um, but yes, distribution is, is our end goal. Our end goal is to be uh, nationwide. I mean, there's no reason why we couldn't be uh, we would have another Texas vodka that I see everywhere. So I think it's a, it could be, re, it could yes. be a good, I see another one. Um, yes. There's one, there's one out there that's pretty, pretty popular. And uh, yes, yeah, so it's, it's totally doable and we have a really solid product. I'm really proud of what we have produced. And I just think if we can get it into the front of the people who make the choices, yeah, um, it will be uh, it'll be a pretty popular thing. It's interesting. On another episode we talked to, it was a, it's a non-dairy ice cream, but it's like very interesting. Like, the, the thing I think that there's the big difference is like, you know, you're getting it with the distributors, but you're in like a highly regulated industry, whereas they're like, it's difficult to ship frozen things. Like, it's not like a regulation problem. It's just like, oh, like, it's hard to keep things cold over long periods of time. But you're in a highly regulated, not just like, like in your area to like get your business started, to start distributing, to serve, I mean, like the, all these things. So how do you deal with that? Uh, with great difficulty. <laughs> uh, I, you know, Philosophically, I am a libertarian, and I'm not sure how I thought it'd be good for my mental health to get into the most heavily regulated uh, industry that I'm aware of. So it's it's been a challenge, and often we are confronted with problems that make no sense and responses that are arbitrary 
and have almost nothing to do with our, our personal situation, but nonetheless will are, are unable to overcome. Like there is no way around it. There's no exceptions. There's nothing short of a lawsuit that you probably would lose. And uh, for example, we are currently in downtown Beeville and that's where I always wanted to be. That was my goal was to, to kind of help get the downtown area re restarted. But when the time came to make the move on whether if we're going to do this or not, the property I wanted wasn't for sale. The um, people who owned it were going through a, a divorce and it just wasn't, wasn't on the market. So I bought a property on the highway thinking next best option is the place in town that has, we have a state highway and why not pick the place that has the most traffic as the, the spot to put the distillery. But that spot had no city water. And in the um, engineering meetings that we were going through to kind of decide on site plans and things like that, we had an environmental engineer tell us that we would have to build a public water source, uh, which is a legal designation. It doesn't necessarily mean public, but what it means is it would have to be of a certain size and sophistication and have a weekly certification by a approved person that the water was clean if we wanted to serve more than 30 people a month, which of course I do. And the thing about this that is just asinine to me is, is that we produce a distilled product. So whatever cleaning or whatever level the water comes out of the ground, the distillation process will clean it more than anything, any other municipal water source is doing in the whole world. And the fact that we couldn't overcome this problem with that reality just drove me nuts. And it was just, it was so arbitrary. And it, I mean, I still have a piece of property sitting on the highway that I can't do anything with because no, you can't put a restaurant out there. You can't, you can't do anything that involves uh, consumer uh, consumption unless you have this well. And that's a new thing. There are lots of other people out in the county who have restaurants and bars, but they did it before this regulation came into play. And somehow they're allowed to do this thing and no one, no one is running away sick. Um, so that the regulation part, that, and that's not even a direct distillery regulation. That was a environmental quality regulation. Uh, and thankfully someone caught it before we put a building out there. But the other option was to run city water for a mile and a half, which would cost more to do than the building itself. So <clears throat> let's just say that I am often very frustrated. I understand to some degree that, um, you know, any kind of alcohol or, or pharmaceutical needs to be regulated. I'm not, I'm not naive enough to think that we should be moonshining in the, in the backyard and selling it to the public. I have just often found the regulations we have and the people enforcing them who are only doing their job and I respect that, but they don't actually even understand why it's cool. They don't have any, they, and they don't have any leeway to make, make a choice. Uh, there's not a lot of discretion there. Um, it is very heavily regulated at every level. The underlying reason for that is so they can collect our tax money, which I knew that going in. And in fact, when I got started, the, the tax rate for craft distillers was much higher than it is now. So I, you know, I, I'm not going to complain about that, that aspect of it. They've kind of given us a, some dispensation there, but the regulation is never ending. It is uh, at every level, local, uh, state and federal. The federal government's actually not the biggest, uh, 
complaint I would have about this. They're pretty hands off as long as you do things the right way and that your report, reporting is correct. And um, the state is probably the one that is a little more hands on and more involved. And you know, I, I love Texas and I'm very proud to be from Texas, but it has this reputation as being very business friendly. And I think as time has gone on, that reputation has been less and less earned. Maybe if you're, you know, a huge company coming to town, it is true that the state will work with you. But we, the state requires a lot of licensing and permitting that is not considered to be business friendly. And uh, I, I would love it if they would just, you know, give us a little break. And COVID has actually led to some breaks for some businesses, just not mine. Uh, a lot of the bars are allowed to do uh, to-go drinks, you know, as long as they're properly sealed and, and ordered with food and things like that, um, which is in a secondary or tertiary sense good for us because if they're ordering our drinks, then that's, that's a way they can consume them that they would not otherwise consume them. But I don't, uh, I, we have not seen any direct impact from that and they have not given any dispensation to us. Um, when the lockdown first happened. I spent a lot of time on the phone with a state senator from Laredo named Judith Zaffarini. And she is notorious for being a very, very effective legislator and for being very responsive to her constituents. And she was. She 100% lived up to that reputation with me and spent a lot of time um, amongst me, amongst other people, trying to get some allowances for bars and for we have a wonderful outdoor space at our distillery. I don't know why we can't use it to, to be in operation. Uh, and she agreed. I mean, she was right there with us and she was very helpful. And so that first round of reopening, um, they, we were, we were included, we were able to reopen. And I, and I believe she had a direct you know influence on that. Unfortunately, when the spike happened and everything was closed down again, I don't think there's the pain tolerance amongst the political class to fight for that again. And the, the you know, the cause has kind of been left behind because no one wants to be responsible for COVID spread anymore. No one wants to be the person putting their name on that. We tried it the one time, it didn't go well. And I think, um, you know, I think Governor Abbott has actually been fine he's been as good as any other governor has about this it's just that it's it is too broad and there are um this is this would be just an ideal time to really review the regulations and the limitations they put on us and maybe decide are they actually keeping anyone safe are they actually you know uh getting at their purpose and if they aren't you know we could just cut those out to make life easier for us now and then also going forward um, but I just don't think, I don't think the political will is there right now. What do you think has been the most challenging part of all of this? For me, the socialization. I mean, if we're talking on a personal level, it's socialization. And then professionally, it is watching um, people I know and like and who are really important to our town struggle financially uh, and the potential that you know, if, again, if you're in Austin or Chicago or, or Miami, you know, bar number one shuts down the instant you can, bar number two is going to hop in there. There's, there's a guy out there, a promoter who wants to go do that. In Beeville, Texas, if somebody wants to shut down, there's just no guarantee, especially these situations where you have, you know, mom and pop stores that have been open for a long time 
And if they shut down, there's no replacement coming. There's no new guy who wants to come here. And I think that is, uh, it's very frustrating. And it's because it's easy. I certainly take COVID seriously. I have a, my mother is, is immunocompromised because of cancer treatments. And so I'm, I'm not someone who I wear my mask, but I take it seriously. I do think that we are very quickly going to realize that the, the downstream repercussions of the lockdown are going to be tragic in a way that we maybe as a, as a society couldn't envision when we, um, when we decided, you know, when the lockdown decisions were made and you, especially as, as people on a personal level have been taking them seriously and, and advocating for them. And, you know, there's certainly a segment of the population that thinks we don't do enough and plenty of people who think we're doing too much, but I do think that uh, the repercussions are going to be severe. I think any business that uh, didn't have cash reserves, which is most small businesses, you know, if there's cash reserves, you pay them out and you pay your bills and it's going to be very hard for them to recover effectively. And you're just going to, you're just going to see a lot of that um, happen. And then my fear is in a place like this, well, if the local, you know, let's just say, for example, the local barbecue place closes, I don't want it replaced with a Dickie's barbecue. I don't want a chain restaurant in here. I don't, we don't need any more of that. Um, and I also think it's going to chill the, the entrepreneurship at my level. You know, again, if you're a private equity, if you're at a, if you're at a capital level, that's beyond where I am, it's probably an opportunity. You know, there's probably distressed uh, options out there to, you can swoop in and, and really, uh, and I, again, do not begrudge anyone that, uh, but, we don't, I don't think that people at my level of in investments are going to want to take that chance, take that risk because what happens next time, you know, when is, when's this going to happen again? And who do you, who do you even look to for that guidance? So I think that's been the hardest thing for me is I am generally a, you know, a, a well thought out risk taker and I really enjoy the, the, the game of things that matter, right? You get out there and you, you have this idea and you have this play you want to make and you play it and you, you put everything you have into it to try to make it happen. And then you see what, see where it ends up. And I have, I'm not, I wouldn't say that I'm now a pessimist. Uh, but I, I think the, the reality there is that, um, the threshold for risk is going to go, go down and you're going to see things where, um, where someone might have previously come in to invest in a place like Beeville or, or a similar community is now not going to, and they're instead going to put their money into the stock market and get their, you know, seven and a half percent return over 25 years, or they're going to go to a bigger city where, you know, the population density uh, justifies the, the potential risk. So I, that's, that's probably the hardest part for me is the, the, what I see is the fork, forthcoming downside. Who do you know or someone that you kind of follow closely that's inspiring you during this time? You know, I'm just going to say my staff, like the people I work with. Um, there are plenty of people in town who, uh, who have 
Uh, and actually, I have one I'm going to add to that after I tell say nice things about my staff. But those guys have really worked hard. Uh, Lindsay, who um, you you corresponded with, who's our marketing person, has gone into overdrive during all of this, trying to get our social media rights. Um, my my wife has a, a handful of retail outlets, and many of them did not have, and our biggest one did not have an online presence because it's a suit store. And we did our best to try to make online suit buying a thing. Um, and then our, our new distiller who came on weeks before this happened, uh, his name is Craig Olson. Craig really went into full speed on the hand sanitizer without him there. Uh, he's, he's a very capable scientist and it was easy for him. It would have been nerve wracking for me. He was able to come in and he was there five days a week, sometimes six days a week, all day producing hand sanitizer. Um, and he's, he's been rock solid for us. Uh, Robert Nolan is, is our bar manager. He's happens to be my cousin. Uh, he was there six days a week selling hand sanitizer. And then he's taken on all the projects we have at the distillery. Um, you know, kind of like you said earlier, we have a list of things we've always wanted to do and he's really taken it upon himself to go in there and get them done and, uh, make sure we're being productive during all this time. The one uh, community member that I would really uh, look to and say, wow, that, that person went out of their way to make something that could have been awful a success is we have a very small local Episcopal school. It's a private school and my son attends there and I was on the board there for a long time. And um, it's a great place that a town like Beaville doesn't normally have. Uh, we're really lucky to have it here. And we hired a new head of school, um, last summer. So, you know, this was his first year there. He is, he is trying to get his, his feet wet in the whole, the whole situation. And he has just gone above and beyond to meet every requirement the diocese has of him to make sure that we both had summer camps and were able to open in person on time. And to me like that, he probably saved that school. And that's a thing that, you know, my grandmother uh, was a member of that church and, um, I don't even think the parents here appreciate how awesome it is for us to have it uh, because they don't go to other towns and see that it's not there. Um, but it's a really wonderful place for our kids. And he has uh, not single-handedly saved it, but he put, he put in the time and effort to make sure that um, it was able to, to sustain itself. And um, his name is Alan Lenz and he, we're just really lucky to have him here in town. As we kind of wrap up, what's one piece of advice that you, uh, we give to other small business owners that are listening to the podcast. Adaptability. Uh, you have to, you have to be able to, to pivot. And it's easy for me to say that because I was super lucky in this one instance to do it. But my, my idea behind the distillery, uh, and you kind of mentioned this when you were talking about the frozen, uh, frozen yogurt earlier, or, um, is I intentionally went into a, uh, business where my product was non-perishable uh, did not need uh, refrigeration or cooling. It did not need um, any special treatment or any special. Uh, that's that's the, that's the trade-off, right? You know, we have all this regulation, but I have this. It's almost a commodity, and it is a hard, tangible product that has inherent value even outside of its you know consumer use. Uh, it can be industrial use. It can be medical use. It can be all these other things, and I. That was very intentional. I never, I did not foresee this use. I, I won't even pretend to that I did, but I knew that it would be um, 
a viable uh, production facility for a lot of different purposes if it needed to be those things. I would much rather have a tasting room and <laughs> produce vodka. But if in a situation where I had to go a different direction, I knew that I could a long time ago. And that's why, um, that's a big reason how I justified putting it in a, in a smaller community because I knew I could pivot and, and do different things as necessary. And so I would just, I think everyone should look at their operation and, and get as many, um, I think I've heard the analogy of if you have, you know, a stool that is holds your money, you want eight or nine stools to hold or eight or nine legs to hold it up. And I think that um, you can't ever be too diversified um, and, and you need to really take a look, an honest look at what you're doing and are you doing it in the most efficient way? Are you doing it in the, uh, the best way? Are you leveraging technology? Are you leveraging social media? Um, because if you're not, everybody else is. And the faster you are, the more open you are to adaptation and the faster you do it, uh, the better position will be. Well, Kenneth, I really want to thank you um, for being on the podcast today. This is really great. We're going to link to uh, your website, your social media. I think that you mentioned Blinzu as your marketing. I think the social media is good. You know, like I said, it's like uh, I've enjoyed, I liked it maybe a week or so ago and have just enjoyed it. And so I think other people can like it. And it's uh, it's just like a nice thing to be able to like support small businesses. Just like, you know, throw them a like. You know, it's like it's not that hard for a lot of Absolutely. us. And we want to see you succeed. And wish you a lot of success and health for your staff and your family and for you and uh, just better times ahead. I certainly hope so. And I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Restarting America podcast. Make sure to subscribe in your podcast app and visit restarting-america.com for more episodes like this one. Restarting America is produced by 97Switch.